everyone's attention. Just before we start the second talk, there are a few questions in, uh, in our, our break period. And this is one of the difficulties of introducing, uh, talking about any of the like, seven capital sins or the eight evil thoughts is that you start to realize that there's a lot of subtleties. And how do I know, you know, with the examine prayer, if, um, if uh, what I'm doing is really sinful or not? Or um, how do I know it's God's voice and not my own? And I mean, those are all subtleties that are difficult to explain and really probably require a whole other talk. But um, what you want to look at with some of the subtleties uh, is what are my interior motivations? You know, so say that um, you got up early in the morning, you have uh, a child that's sick and you're impatient. Um, the examined prayer, what, what that will help you with, with the subtleties is to ask yourself, now how could I have done that differently? You know, now that I look at it honestly and being reflective, I went to bed way too late the night before, and so I woke up tired. And my, it wasn't my child's fault that he or she was sick, and now I'm impatient with him or her. So what's the answer? I have a better rhythm of life and go to bed earlier, you know? Or if we have a newborn, maybe the answer in some of these for the examined prayer is to say, well, my wife and I take turns when the baby wakes up. I just know that tonight's my night. And so I had to be ready for it. And so my attitude and my motivation is already informed. I'm not just reacting, I've pre-planned. It's not about being a perfect human being. It's about just asking yourself, now how could I have done that differently? And the subtleties for some of this, like how do I know it's the voice of God speaking to me? Some of that comes just over time. You start to recognize God's voice. Um, you know, so for instance, an example would be, um, you're hearing a logismoi, you should pray more. Well, is that from the devil? Some people would say no right away, but it could be. If the end result is, through your examined prayer, that you're neglecting your family, you're acting like you're some cloistered nun while you've got three or four kids at home and a husband, uh, that's not your call. And that is not from the Lord. If it's leading you away from your primary call, if that I should pray more is that God's calling me as an invitation to pray more deeply in my prayer time, to be more attentive to him, and to pray more from the heart and not just to recite vocal prayer. That could well be from the Lord. You can tell by the fruits. Is it positively affecting my primary call to holiness, my, my marriage, you know? Um, it could just be me being scrupulous. I should pray more. God will love me more then. That's not from the Lord, you know. It could be from the evil one. But this is where the examined prayer can help you in that kind of quiet to review the day and not just see where you failed, but to ask yourself after you've asked for forgiveness, how could I have done that differently? What motivated me to say that? Why did I choose those words to that coworker? The reality is now in a quieter moment, away from all the tension and stress of work, that person bothers me. And I chose words specifically 
to bother her. I wanted to get back. Ah, now we're looking at subtleties here. Okay. So the examined prayer and your motivations, your attitude will all be affected. You'll start to see creatively the Holy Spirit will start to teach you how to just cooperate. So, you know, there are times as a parent, you've got to be with your kids, firm, direct. Um, how you, what you say and how you say it are things that we look at with the examined prayer. You know, maybe you needed to correct that child, but maybe I didn't need to do it publicly because in hindsight it humiliated her. I could have waited for a different moment. That's how a person grows in wisdom, through the examined prayer and seeing how maybe some of the logismoi or your dominant sins can affect how your relationships with God, yourself, and others are affected in more subtle ways. It's, the subtleties take time, and as you grow in self-knowledge, then it becomes more apparent. You know, one of my, my, one of my dominant sins is vainglory. And so my preoccupation with what others think of me. You know? So, in my earlier youth, way before I became a priest, it's all being recorded, uh, <laughs> I struggled for a period of time with lust. But that wasn't my dominant sin. It was motivated by vainglory. Love me. That I'm, I'm, I'm worthwhile. That my identity was caught up in what you think of me. Not what I think of myself. Not how God sees me. I'm a son of God. He died for me. He's given me gifts and talents. And, but see, all of that can be masked or uh, muddied because of a dominant sin. So vainglory now in my life has very subtle ways that it works. And so God, in answer to my prayer, has brought people into my life who poke it all the time. <laughs> but that's his answer, that's his medicine to heal me. Because I have to proactively now deal with people who poke it. And one day I was, I was walking and I thought to myself, about this person, what a jerk, you know? I mean, I really was irritated with this person. And then a th the thought came to me, which I believe was the Lord. Actually, he's a blessing in your life. I gave him to you to heal you. He doesn't know that. But his own fallenness is bringing healing to you. Are you gonna to respond to the grace? Now when I see this person, I'm like, my attitude is different. It's not like, oh. <laughs> now it's more, it, it, there's a little bit more <laughs> tolerance and it's just more that there's grace here. That God is answering my prayer in this person, in the imperfection of life, God is answering prayer. You see how some of that works, okay? So we're gonna move on. Now that my sins have all been made public, uh, <laughs> the devil will want to, we're going to go into our, our second talk, which is overcoming sin and spiritual growth. That's the second handout you have. I'm going to have a few things that I'm going to read prior to what we see on the handout, okay? The enemy 
one of his first weapons of the evil one, of those who are choosing, like you all are, to grow in holiness, to rise from being a good person to being better, as St. Ignatius says, is to provide obstacles or impediments. You know, perhaps maybe earlier on in your walk, you decided to leave a sinful activity behind and it just comes at you as a rampage. This may be unfortunate, but my old spiritual director often told me, he said, demons are like whiny women, whiny, needy women. So uh, there are any whiny, needy women here, sorry, but basically (laughs) he said they get very upset when you don't pay attention to them anymore. So when you start turning your life, what they call metanoia, a turning toward God, and you start walking away from a life of sin, even imperfectly, you fall, you get back up, but you're still heading toward Calvary, toward Jerusalem with Jesus, and you're falling, but you're getting back up and you're putting on your cross, they're going to follow you, and they're going to whine and complain and badger you, you know? It's almost like the spiritual life is like being a... Uh, in, when you're in sin, you're emasculated. You know, because virtue, its root of it is vir, V-I-R, is manliness, virtue. To be fully human, fully alive. The glory of God, St. Ignatius of Antioch says, is man fully alive. It's true for women. They're all human beings. So the evil one tries to provide obstacles in your life. All of a sudden, life isn't working out as well anymore when you gave your life to God. You know, you go through a honeymoon period and everything seems to fall into place and there's grace upon grace. And This is wonderful. The rest of my life is going to be like this. And all of a sudden now, the Lord wants you to start walking the walk. He's not spoon-feeding you because he wants you to mature, to be mature in Christ Jesus. He wants to, your, your gifts and talents on a natural and spiritual level that he's given you, to you to be used for the building up of the kingdom of God not for the kingdoms of Satan that you had before. So in my earlier days when I fell into lust, that means I have a capacity to love, a great capacity to love. The devil wanted it for evil. God wants it for good. And that's why there's that battleground between, for all of us. So the devil's going to throw up obstacles. Things just don't seem to work out well. You maybe even get to a point of dryness in your prayer, you know, or this sin seems to be even worse off than before. He seems to have brought, if you were at daily mass the other day, you know, the, the spirit is expunged from your life, this evil spirit. But then he comes back with seven of his friends to take up residence because he wants you back. See, the demons are also very legalistic. They can't enter your life unless you let them. That's why you don't let a thought take root. It's important. You, as a Christian, bought by the blood of Christ and grafted into his body, have a lot of power in his name. And demons even recognize even more so those who are ordained, that they've been given certain powers of exorcism and things along those lines. And they also recognize each one of our own gifts baptized or ordained, that you have, and it's threatening. So he decides to throw up obstacles. And one of the obstacles can be this. This is from a book. um, These are Eastern Christians, Orthodox. 
The book is called Unseen Warfare by Nicodemus of the Holy Mountain and Theophane the Recluse. Um, so some wonderful easy names to remember. But what I'm going to read to you is how a warrior of Christ should prepare in the day. But I'm going to read you one section of that small chapter about the obstacle that the evil one will put before you. Do not let the enemy seduce you by the suggestion, again, logismoi, thought or suggestion. Let go for just an hour. Very well, you say, just for an hour. But what will become of you if you relinquish your life in God and abandon yourself to the world and its comforts and to bodily enjoyments? You will be a renegade from God, which is terrible for a single moment, let alone, let alone for an hour. And is it likely to be but an hour? Is it not more prob probable that hour after hour will pass in this ungodly life, and then day after day, and year after year, and beyond this what? Even if the Lord takes pity on you and gives you time to come to yourself, to get you free from this net of the devil and awaken you from your sinful sleep, you will still have to rejoin the same battle from which you now flee to seek an easy life, with the only difference is that then the fight will be incomparably harder, more acute, more painful, and in addition, less successful, only for an hour. That's the battle. It, by the way, this doesn't mean that we don't pursue good things, that we can't enjoy things. They're talking about something in which we replace God. I am so focused on my house and my money and my car and what I look like that those are almost gods to me. That's what we have to start to recognize in the spiritual life. It's not that the Lord doesn't want to bless you with good health or finances or family. But ultimately, the ultimate blessing is life, eternal life with God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Christian life, in imitation of Jesus, is one of sacrifice. Paul even tells us that. You hear what the devil says, let's just play into your bodily enjoyments. And yet Paul tells us in Philippians, let me just go there myself. Chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know him, meaning Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Even now you're called to die. So am I. That's why we die to sin and live for God. That's why we hunger to grow in virtue. If I want to taste the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, if I want to live the life of the Beatitudes, if I want to live more fully in a mature discipleship as a virtuous man in Christ, then I have to die to things that lead me away from God. That may mean that certain relationships in my life have to end or have to be reordered. I have to know the subtleties of how the evil one works in my life. I may have things of beauty in my, my room, and that's fine, they're good, they're not sinful in themselves, but maybe I'm inordinately attached to them, and I take more pleasure in them than the Lord. God is a jealous God. He wants all of your love. 
That's why you should really have in your houses a crucifix. Almost, almost I would say in every room, but he gave all. He has a right to demand all. And the all that he wants is the all of your life. And so that's why as mature Christians, we want to look at our life and say, is anything impeding me from the love of God, from living as a mature Christian? You know, unforgiveness, deeper hurts, wounds, things that we kind of manage, you know, I've dealt with. But in real honesty, we really haven't. We just make ourselves look good. So again, the things of this world God gave for our pleasure. It shows, it reflects his glory, his beauty, his order, the universe, nature. They're to be enjoyed. Um, fall leaves are beautiful. Yeah. It's our attachments to things. Do I love them? This is the hard part for spouses. Do I love my spouse more than God? That's disordered. <laughs> should love God more than your spouse. should love your spouse enough to get them to heaven with you. You should love your spouse enough to have them fall deeply in love with God. And in fact, if you love God as a couple, you've seen couples like that, they're so in love with not only each other but with the Lord that their love for the Lord informs and matures their love for one another. It's beautiful. That's a challenge. Believe me, it's a challenge as a priest. Not all of you are easy to love, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I'm sure not all priests are easy to love either. But that's, that's the reality that we're facing. And God is our ultimate happiness. God is our ultimate love, okay? And so as we grow in maturity, spiritual life, and understand the subtleties of what pokes us, motivates us, informs our attitude, we'll start to see that there's unfreedom in our life, and God wants to set us free. Jesus says in John's Gospel, I've come to give you life and to the full. He didn't say, I've come to give you life, part of me, or just the part I want to give to you. He gives everything. We seem to inhibit the all that he wants to flirt or uh, lavish on us. But most of the time, we're not aware that we're doing that. That's why Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In many ways, we're kind of ignorant of ourselves, particularly, and the spiritual life. Can someone get that door over there? There's a story of a, um, a monk who had a, a gentleman visiting him, and the gentleman wanted to um, taste a life of deeper prayer, prayer of the heart. What is that like? A life of the Beatitudes. How do you live that? He went to this old monk who spent his life growing in a life of the Beatitudes. Said so one evening, as the sun was setting, we sat in a courtyard on little stools, and I begged him to tell me what his elder, his like spiritual director, had to say about the Beatitudes and how he felt as he prayed them. Even before he spoke to me, he got up eagerly and with an agility of a young man, 
with the unframed simple love which distinguishes the hermits, he cut the best, perhaps the last grape of the hermetic vineyard or grapevine and offered it to me with sweet rainwater in an old wooden tray. First of all, he said, eat these grapes. They are very sweet and ripe. And they are twice blessed, I told him. They have your blessing too. They are also the fruit of the desert, meaning the interior life. Then the monk says to him, you see my child, how each thing comes in its own time? For the ripeness of the grape, it is necessary for some time to pass so that it may give us today the taste and therapeutic beneficial value that it has. The same thing happens with our prayer. My elder used to tell me that one spends many years with patience, asceticism, and effort in prayer until he matures so that the soul may render the beautiful fruits of the Beatitudes. Be patient with yourselves. But you have to start to walk the road. Watch out for an obstacle where the devil will have you compare yourself to others. Don't ever go there. Um, that may be really into that one of the eight evil thoughts of sadness. I'm not like her. I don't have her gifts and abilities. She's prettier. She gets more this, you know, and more attention there. That's not of the Lord. And what happens when someone does that is that they actually reject the maturation of their own gifts that God has given to that person. You can be inspired by your neighbor. Don't be, compare yourself to him or her. And we, you and I, swim in a culture of comparison. You know, just pick up magazines, watch TV. I went over to Croatia once years ago in the early 1990s to when there was a Balkan war going on to distribute uh, foodstuffs and, and money and clothing. And um, I stayed with this priest, and his mother was like the, uh, the uh, cook and the housekeeper. She spoke hardly any English at all, and I hardly spoke any Croatian, which I, I don't speak any Croatian. Um, I mean, I had a little dictionary with me, and I got up in the morning, and um, we were eating breakfast, and she wanted to, they were poor people, but she had this whole spread of bolognese and meats and breads and cheeses out for breakfast, kind of giving me the best of what they had. And I only ate a certain amount, and she kept telling me, you know, basically, eat, eat. And I said, no, no, thank you, this, is, this was enough. And she said through a translator, oh, you Americans and your plastic bodies. We were so worried about how we look, you know. Um, then, she, <laughs> then she proceeded to ask me, she said, um, she wanted to know what I wanted to drink for breakfast. She said, beer, wine, vodka, Schlievowitz, cafe. I'm like, vodka for breakfast? <laughs> uh, so I said, um, cafe. And she basically did it and had me. <laughs> she took a shot glass of vodka, slammed it down her throat, and I'm not, I'm not joking. Ah. 
I thought to myself, this woman has more hair on her chest than I do. She had a little bit on her upper lip, too, but yeah. So, obstacles. Spiritual life. It can be fun, by the way, too. You've got to laugh at yourself. If you're going to look at your handout here, this will be a little bit more simple than the last. What I'm hoping to do in the next time I have um, uh, these formation days is to really go back to the eight evil thoughts and to divide them out so we can talk about them a little bit more succinctly about what they are and how they manifest themselves. You, you, you can't do it in one talk. You have to divide them. And even two talks is pushing it. They really all deserve one talk. They're that comprehensive. Paul tells us in Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Again, he's died. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So who am I not to love God and give myself fully to him? This is why we're going to do the examine. This is why we reflect on our lives. This is why we desire to grow in virtue. God made us to belong to him. The beatitudes, the virtues are the pathway with the sacraments. We need grace. Or as in Luke's gospel, I've come to cast fire on earth. And oh, how I wish it were already ablaze, Jesus says. And the, the Eastern fathers of the church will say, why not become totally fire? Why don't you burn with the Holy Spirit? But see, you and I have got obstacles to lighting the fire. And the devil puts it in, in front of us. So how do we go from this path of sin to virtue? How do we develop like a game plan? We can be pragmatic in the spiritual life as well. It doesn't have to be all these categories and esoteric concepts and I'm not really quite sure. Do I have to have a master's degree to become a saint? No. Okay? But sometimes that's how you feel. I don't have all this down. You know? That's why be patient with yourself. You'll grow. Continue to read. Just by being here, you're well on your path. St. Teresa of Avila says the first step toward holiness is self-knowledge. You'll hear that time and time and time again because there's truth there. Grace builds upon nature. It perfects nature. Who am I? Why do I struggle this way? Why do I have this issue or this sin, but my wife doesn't or my best friend doesn't? What's wrong with me? And they may be thinking the same thing in comparison to you. So, on your dominant sins, or any sin, but let's just focus on a dominant sin, one that seems to frequently be in your life. You know, St. Alphonsus de Liguori says, we all have sins of affection, sins that we hate, but we secretly like. You have yours, I have mine. If you want to make real progress in the spiritual life, know what your sin of affection is, the one that you run to for solace and comfort. Did you ever watch the movie um, Lord of the Rings? Most of you have seen that. And there's that kind of odd um, scene where Gollum, that little creature, he has that other voice always speaking to him. 
And people in the movie theater when I was seeing were laughing because he seems like he's schizophrenic. It's kind of like logismoi that we're talking about. He finally tells that other, the ultra ego, the other, the more insidious one, go away. And the one says, what? Go away. Then he finally, the other creature leaves and Gollum is free. It's almost like he's experiencing what he was like before his fall. Okay? And so we have to understand ourselves, who we are, what motivates us, what our attitude toward life is, our own life history, our family rules that kind of shaped us and molded us, people of influence in our life. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. This will unfold in time. The best thing that you can do in your spiritual life is every day to have at least 15 minutes, if not a half hour, of quiet, nothing. Just spend time with the Lord and listen to your heart bubble up. It'll tell you a lot of things it's been dying to talk to the Lord about. But we're busy, so I turn on the radio, and there's the news, and then there's the TV, then there's the internet, and then there's a cell phone, and then, oh my gosh, there's an instant message, and then there's a text message, and then there's this, and then there... We don't even know ourselves. This scattered living keeps us very vulnerable in the spiritual life to evil. Because all of a sudden we get so frayed and frantic and we're living on the skimming on the surface of life and we, want, we hunger for meaning and we hunger for the beatitude, we want happiness, that when something is presented to us that looks good but is actually sinful, we take it. So now you can, all of a sudden you're a little bit more sympathetic to Adam and Eve, you know? Or like when I was at Franciscan University of Steubenville and taking an Old Testament class and they're talking about the Exodus account and here the, the Israelites had seen the, the pillar of God's, uh, the fire, fire uh, pillar of fire and the cloud of God's presence, the Shekinah glory, the 10 plagues of Egypt, all these signs and wonders and they get out into the desert of purification. God's purifying them from their old gods, their maladies of their soul out in the desert of purification. And then they, what do they do? When things get a little tough and they start to whine, they, want to, they would rather go back to Egypt and be enslaved because at least there were flesh pots and cucumbers and melons. They, they list all these things that are very carnal. I remember sitting there in class saying, what a bunch of idiots, you know? I mean, come on, you see all these signs and wonders and you go back to your old gods. And then I heard within me, and what about you? You have grace. You have my son. You receive me in the Eucharist, and you go back to your old gods. Ouch. Right after class, I went to the Portsiancola, the Adoration Chapel, and was on my face. Because we all have gods that we worship. We just don't like to call them that. And when you, in a moment of energetic zeal for the Lord and an acknowledgement of your sins, you give him permission to tear down the shrines that these old gods have, what we tend to do, because we're familiar, the Israelites were familiar with their, their slavery, they weren't familiar with freedom. 
And when things got difficult, they went back to what was familiar. We do the same thing. So we have this energetic desire for God to set us free, and we confess our sins, and we go to confession, and we're going to live a holy life, and, and things are going well for a while, and we're praying deeply, and God's speaking to us. We feel his presence, and then life gets a little tough, and he wants to purify us. He wants us to die to other sins so that we can grow in greater union with him. And what do we do? We go back and we rebuild our shrines because to our familiar gods. We haven't given all yet. But be patient. Be patient with yourself. So we have to discern then what is the context in which we have fallen into sin? What are my habits or places or persons or things that happen to be present when I fall into that sin. Again, a, a sin that you repeat quite a bit in your life. Is it a certain person that leads you into gossip? What do I do about that? Maybe I need a new friend. Maybe I need to be bold enough to say, you know, I love your friendship, but every time we get together, we gossip. I really, can we talk about something else? And for some people, their whole identity is in their gossip that they find this an affront, that you dare say this. How dare you judge me? You don't need a friend who's going to lead you to hell. It's harsh, but it's true. So you have to know these things. This is part, you can use this in your exam, and you can use what I, this handout as part of your own exam when you're going to confession. What was the context? Remember I gave you a context earlier about lust. I'm kind of stressed out. I start isolating myself from people. I start eating too much junk food. In fact, you know, gosh, every time I fall into this sin, I seem to always eat too many potato chips. And then, you know, you start noticing little things. Um, I spend too much time on television. I spend too much time doing this or whatever else. And then you find yourself right before the warm fire of whatever your dominant sin is. So you have to understand the context. Otherwise you'll say, I don't understand why I keep falling into this sin. And for some of us, the context can be an old wound. You grew up and your father, in a moment of um, a lack of charity, said that you're just stupid. Why aren't you like your brother? And it just stuck. And you've got three degrees and you still think you're stupid. So when someone points something out to you that was an error, you get all enraged because it's poking an old wound. That's a context. You gotta look at that. If you want healing, freedom from that, you gotta know that. You, gotta, you have to acknowledge it. Seek to find the root sin or root motivation or root wound that our desires or passions are fed Okay, pray and ask for guidance from the Holy Spirit. Talk to a mature Christian friend or priest. Um, understand your temperament, your personality. Discern between what you willfully did and unwillfully did. Like for instance, an example would be maybe uh, I'm more kind of a sanguine, talk to people out there. So sometimes sanguines, they just, blah, they'll just say things. They don't mean anything ill will by it. And maybe, Unwillfully, I made a joke that was at the expense of someone else. I didn't intend that, but that was the end result. So at the end of the day, at an examine, I'll ask the Lord for forgiveness there. 
I may have to go to my brother and ask for forgiveness. I didn't intend that, I'm sorry. You know. um, but that's where you start to see. And maybe the root motivation was, I like the attention. And if I'm not a mature Christian, if I'm not uh, acknowledging and having self-understanding, uh, I'll just flippantly write that off. Well, that's just who I am. You know, I'm kind of quick on my feet, and uh, I'm ver verbally agile, and aren't I funny and humorous? Aren't I witty? Or as my mother would said, dumb, half, or nitwitty. You take your pick, you know? <laughs> but this is where you've got to be radically self-honest. Again, it's not being scrupulous. You want to stay away from that. It's just being honest. Lord, I said this. I didn't intend any ill will. I'll seek to be more prudent in the way I speak. Help me to change my humor. It's a simple, honest, beautiful prayer to the Lord. Don't you think he'll give you grace? Of course. If the sin is his habitual, then look for the rituals or steps that lead to the temptations. Is there a time cycle between the temptations that they arise? You know? Um, what are the red flags that always appear prior to the fall? Distress is one of the red flags. Overeating, one of the red flags. You get because it's the holidays and, and your mother-in-law or some other person in your, your family is coming over and it's just, it's stressful. And it leads you to be impatient and you just, uh, you're verbally um, uncharitable toward your children. Is that the ritual, the steps that lead to that sin? What are those steps? What are the habits, places, persons, or things that increases our weakness against our temptation? You know? Maybe you're somebody who just, um, there's something that you always rely on for comfort. And if you start to acknowledge it more and more, you start to realize that that often is present in a more concentrated form just prior to a fall. Maybe it's a certain person. Maybe you want to be uh, accepted in a certain group at, at work, and so you're willing to use foul language, just so you're one of the guys. You know, you use the Lord's name in vain. It's a horrific sin. You never hear a Buddha say, Buddha, damn it. Why do we do that as Christians? I, I, I never understood that. Develop a game plan. That's what I want to focus on here. Develop a game plan to avoid the near occasion of sin. So, Become accountable to a confessor or a spiritual director or a close friend. Now, this is somebody that you, it takes prudence, especially if it's a close friend. You know, if you're under the seal of confession, there's a lot of openness and honesty there. A close friend, friends can come and go. So prudence is required. Um, but maybe you have a regular confessor who can understand your life's rhythms and give you continued advice without it being an hour-long spiritual direction session, you know? It's a possibility. Be creative in finding ways to feed the passion in a holy, non-sinful way. For your temptations, your body is trying to tell you something. You have a need that's legitimate. Find substitute to feed the passion. So let me give you an example. I gave it to you the last talk. So there's this desire for love. 
but you fall into lust. The reality is you want intimacy. That's a bodily need. And it's good. I'm just seeking to resolve it in a way that's unholy. So what are some holy creative ways that I can have um, intimacy met in my life? I say this oftentimes in confession to people, mostly to men, but you can be married or single, you can be a priest or not, and it applies to all of us regardless. If a person's falling into uh, impurity on a regular basis and they're struggling with that, really underneath that is a desire for intimacy. Okay? A psychological, spiritual, bodily desire. A byproduct is it may have physical expressions and things like that. But I may notice that I may fall into this sin when I'm tired and I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm tired, um, or hungry. There's an acronym called HALT. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, watch out. <laughs> Your favorite sin's just going to present itself. You're ripe. So do I live a balanced life? Am I going to bed on time? Getting enough sleep, proper diet, moderate exercise. Those things balance your life and make it much easier to cooperate with grace and resist sin because I'm not fatigued. I've been eating well. I feel good about myself. I've been exercising my body. I am convinced that our body is the last thing that wants to convert. It's like, a, it's like our bodies are like adolescents. It wants everything now. And so if I get enough sleep, proper diet, moderate exercise, I'm disciplining my body. If I don't do that, I'm going to always look for comforts. Always. Okay? So we don't think of sleep and diet and exercise as forms of intimacy, but they're almost like a precursor, setting the groundwork for intimacy, for healthy intimacy. Then I have to look, whether I'm married or not, priest or not, um, my prayer life. Do I have a prayer life? Am I praying from the heart? Am I sharing with God the desires of my heart? That's intimacy. When you go to confession and you're confessing to a priest, that's intimacy. You're sharing things that you don't even share with your own spouse. That's intimacy. I could be distributing Holy Communion like at Mass this morning, and I could have the attitude of body of Christ, body of Christ, body of Christ, like you're doing a deck of cards. Or as a priest, I'm in persona Christi. And my bride is coming to consummate communion with me, a union with, body of Christ. I'm giving myself away. And you're saying, amen, I, I receive you into me. That's intimacy. So the sacraments, a life of prayer, frequenting the sacraments are lives of intimacy. Now we can do it in a perfunctory way, or we can do it with an attitude, a motivation of intimacy. Hobbies sports, personal interests. These are all ways that you can develop a game plan for intimacy. Because those things get me outside of myself. They refresh me. They give life meaning and, and interest. You know, as I tell men, God made you as a man to desire to challenge the world, to, to make your mark. 
to build. That's how we're made. That's why men are more susceptible to like pornography because it's visual, it's outside of themselves. So I have to do things that get me outside of myself, that feed me, that I find challenging, that I can, you know, so sports do that for men. Hobbies, personal interests, I love to read about urban development and put you to sleep, but I find it fascinating. <laughs> it's a form of intimacy, because the theology of the body is about self-donation, getting outside of yourself. Ministry is giving yourself away. Family and friends, variety of activities. So if you look at, if you're going to develop a game plan, you're going to look at your week and say, how can I, looking at my dominant sin, find legitimate ways to meet the need that that sin's trying to falsely meet in my life? And throughout the week, you're going to ebb and flow with some of those activities to feed you, to refresh you. You can't do all that I suggested in that example on how to meet intimacy in a legitimate way every day. You know, you may not be able to go to Mass every day and have a half hour prayer every day and exercise and do your hobbies and your sports and personal interests. I mean, then you're, maybe you're getting into selfishness there, you know. Your spouse would be like, excuse me, the rest of us are here, you know. But that's how you develop a game plan. Um, and there's some listings there. Sometimes, in order to avoid a sin, you just do the opposite of what the sin's requesting. I want to become angry, I'll become calm. Then later on, I'll look at what, what, what were some of the issues surrounding my anger. Was it a just anger? What should I have said? Maybe I need to revisit this with that person. But now I'm calmer, okay? So sometimes, just learning to do the opposite Learning how to contemplate and pray every day can keep you much more alive to the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life. And um, learning how to slow down. You know when you're busy and you're multitasking and people ask requests of you, you're hardly receptive, you know, unless you're a freak, you know. <laughs> there are people who really get off on their multitasking. A daily examination of conscience is what, basically what I gave you earlier, that's examined prayer. So what we're going to do is spending some time just to write your own game plan. Looking at the first talk of what you feel perhaps may be your dominant sin. It's okay if you weren't right. Well, you know, Father, you told us that sometimes there's real, a real dominant sin that's, that's underneath the one I'm aware of. Just start with what you're aware of. God will take you and teach you the subtleties. How do I develop a game plan for overcoming that sin in my life? Whether it be on habits, attitude, my motivation, persons, places, or things. Things that I need in my life is so key that refresh me. Give me life and energy. You know, if a young man comes to me and maybe he's struggling with impurity and he'll say in the confessional that he fell into impurity and he'll say, do you like to play basketball? Oh, I love to play basketball, Father. I said, so when you have a good game of basketball and you feel that you've given your all on the court, do you come back and celebrate by falling into impurity? <laughs> no. Why do you think that is? And the typical answer I get is, 
I don't know. <laughs> because you feel on top of your game. You feel satisfied. You feel refreshed. You've given your all. It's when we become domesticated, even in the spiritual life, that sin starts to look good to us again. When our life and world becomes very small. So learn to know who you are. Your life history, your motivations, your patterns of life, your habits, your temperament, your personality. What's my dominant sin? Who or what or what's the context in which I fall into that sin? And then, Lord, with that information, develop a game plan to cooperate with grace. You will make spiritual progress. And some of these sins will remain with you for a long time because they don't want to give up territory. But they also remain because a lot of times uh, we um, grow in wisdom not only of ourselves, but of the subtlety of that spiritual warfare that we weren't aware of when we first started. So be patient again with yourself. Perseverance is going to be very key and radical self-honesty with God. Sometimes you get angry at him. Why is this going on? You know? Will be keys to you growing in the spiritual life. It took me 20 years to overcome a sin in my life. But if I never entered into the battle, I'd still be enslaved. So 20 years are going to go by regardless. The question is, do you want to enter in and armor yourself up? What is it, Ephesians chapter 6? Put on the armor of Christ. So let's finish with this beautiful um, poem from Augustine. And then you're going to enter into your own game plan. And be creative as you want to, using some of the examples and uh, steps that I gave there. And uh, don't worry about it being overly comprehensive. In fact, simpler is better. Um, but, you know, maybe look at the example of David. What are your five stones that you're going to have as part of your game plan? Things that refresh you, give you life and energy, help you to cooperate with grace and avoid that sin. And St. Augustine, O beauty so ancient and yet so new, too late have I known you, too late have I loved you. I stand here in need of your mercy. Rebuild me anew, fill my soul. Let me seek you, my soul thirsts for you. You were always near me when I was far astray. You stretched out your hand to me, but I turned away. I reached out for creation, not creator, the beauty created by your hand. But even in the shadows, your love broke through. You shouted out and broke through my deafness. You burned brightly and chased away my blindness. You breathed your fragrance upon me. And even now do I yearn for you. You touched me and I burned for your peace. You have made me, O oh God, to live forever in your love, and my heart will not rest until it rests in you. Amen.